Good morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Continue to talk about what it means to be a family on mission. We've been learning about what it, what the, who the church is and who we are as the church and how to live as the church, as a family. We've learned that we actually are family. Did anyone catch that recently? Because we're, brother, or because we're sons and daughters of the Father, we are brothers and sisters of one another. Amen? We actually are family. And so the Lord is teaching us how to have healthy relationships, how to fight for those relationships, how to take responsibility in our relationships. And, and so we've been learning a lot about those types of things. And today is going to be more of that same stuff. So let's look at, uh, let's look at Romans chapter 12. And we'll dive into this. Romans 12, I'm going to start reading from verse 9. Read down to verse 21. Romans 12 is an amazing passage about what it looks like to be a church family. And I want to encourage you to continue to read Romans chapter 12, at least, uh, and even read it every week. Because there's some powerful stuff here, and I want to really encourage you to talk about it in your life groups. Do you guys know how many people are in our life groups? Throughout the week, we met in life groups, and we did a, a number count recently. Not a number count, I'm sorry. We, I, don't want, I don't care about numbers. I care about names. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't do a census. That's bad. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, I just want to know who's in groups. I, don't, I can't even give you the specifics. We'll, we'll give you the specifics another time. There's a lot of people in life groups. So way to go, people in life groups. Let's keep meeting in life groups. Let's keep journeying together, and let's keep growing as a family on mission even after this series, uh, but Romans 12, this would be the, a great place for a, a life group or a family to think about. So here we go, verse 9 to 21, Romans 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no, e- no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Powerful passage. Lots of things that we could talk about. In fact, throughout these last couple of weeks, we've touched on a number of these things of how we're to love people and serve them and practice hospitality and things like that. But today I want to talk to you about specifically verse 18. Let's focus in on that. It says, verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I want to talk to you today about living with difficult people. Yeah, I knew I'd get something out of that. <laughs> you, know, see, you, know, see, you notice that? I don't even have, that wasn't even a joke, and you guys all like, you know, that wasn't even a joke, and you're like, oh, difficult people. Yeah, we all know. Why? Because you all know difficult people. You probably live with them yourself. No, okay. Uh, we, all, we all have been in relationships where it was difficult. We've been in relationships where we didn't know really what to do. See, last couple weeks, or I think it was two weeks ago, I talked about how in every relationship, the only way to move through conflict and into deeper intimacy is what we said is speaking the truth in love. Remember that principle from Ephesians 4? We've been learning to speak the truth in love, which means being honest 
Remember, not using you statements, but I statements. But it also means speaking the truth, being honest with love, right? Not out of, not out of something that's not love, right? So we've talked about that. And at the end of that message, it was two weeks ago, I said, hey, that, that works. I'm telling you, if you have unresolved conflicts in your, in your life, if you have a number of unresolved conflicts, let's say, for example, in your, in your uh, marriage, for example, you and your spouse or maybe a, a, a friend of yours or a roommate, and you just have continued unresolved conflicts, I said to you, the reason why is because you're not speaking the truth in love. Nine times out of ten, you're not speaking the truth in love. But then, you know, I laid that out. I laid out the principles, and I'm telling you, if you'll walk in that way, if you'll be honest, you'll speak the truth in love, two people can work things out. You'd be surprised. If you'll work those things out through healthy conflict resolution, you'll come into deeper intimacy, both in the church, in families, in marriages, things like that. But what about when somebody's kind of difficult, Dave? What, what about the spouse that doesn't repent? Maybe, for example, they have an addiction, okay? And, and you've continued to try this truth and love thing, and it's not working. They're not changing. Or what about somebody you're trying to communicate your feelings or emotions to, and they're not responding, they're unresponsive. Or maybe even they're hurtful, verbally hurtful or physically abusive. What do you do with that? What do you do as a Christian? What does the Bible say? What does the Lord say about what I'm supposed to do in a relationship where the other person doesn't want peace? Where the other person, maybe they leave the relationship. Maybe they just, they're gone. What do you do? What do you do when they don't go? <laughs> you know, it would be better if they leave. No, okay, what do, what do you do when they don't go? What do, what do you do when they continue? Well, let's say even a spouse that continues to deal with depression, continues to deal with the same struggles. They're not necessarily trying to be hurtful to you, but they're still struggling, struggling, struggling. What do you do? What do you do with the addict? What do you do with the hurtful person? What do you do with the unresponsive or unrepentant person? Bottom line, what does it look like to live in relation with difficult people? Look at what it says here in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live at peace or live peaceably with all men. Everyone, right? And so what Paul is saying is as Christ followers, our goal should always be peace with every person in, that we're in relationship with. Coworker, a neighbor, friend, family member, that we would strive, we would endeavor for peace. How much more for those of us who are family, right? In our immediate families where we are covenanted to one another, or even in the church family where we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one and we are covenanted to one another. The Bible says we are to fight for, right? Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so what does it look like, whether it be just every person we're in relationship with, maybe a non-believer that you work with, or maybe a, 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 a spouse or somebody in the church. What does it look like to live in peace with them? And notice it says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you. Do you see what the Lord is saying? That we are to work for peace. We are to fight for peace. We are to fight for that relationship and be a people who cultivate peace. What does peace look like? It looks like wholeness, unity, but also wholeness, healthiness in our relationships, right? The word peace doesn't just mean you don't like kill each other, but it does mean a wholeness, a healthiness in the relationship itself. And so how do you have a whole relationship? It says that you need to do your part. It says as much as depends on you or that which is of you, your part, okay? It's just in the Greek, it's simply that, uh, uh, of yourself. 
You need to, from yourself or of yourself, be at peace with the other person. You need to do what you can, what you are literally able. In, in, in here it says, if it is possible, the word possible literally means if, it, if, you're po- if it's possible, if, if, if you can. Meaning, you need to do what you're able to do. You need to do what you can do. But notice the phrase here, if it is possible. See, the Lord is showing us that it is, it takes two to be at peace, doesn't it? You always say it takes two to tango. It takes two to play tennis. It takes two to have a relationship. It is not possible for there to be peace without both parties embracing that peace. And so you can only do your part. Are you responsible for somebody else? Right? Anyone else? Anyone else know the answer? No, no, it's good. I like that. Come on, Gusto. Who are you responsible for? Right. We've been learning this. We've been seeing this in the Word of God that you are to do your 100%. Amen? You cannot do 50-50. You can't be 50% kidney and 50% foot. In a body, you do, 50 per, you do 100% kidney work, they do 100% footwork, right? You need to do 100% of what you can do. That's called your responsibility. Your ability, what you can do, but you're not responsible for somebody else. And so the scriptures call us, the Lord calls us to be a people of peace, a people who do everything in our ability from ourselves, our part, our 100%, to bring peace to the relationship. But if the other person does not want peace, if the other person is unresponsive or unrepentant, you have only can do your part. Now, what's our part? I don't know about you, this is one of the most important verses, or this was one of the most important verses to me when I came to Jesus. Like, um, and I say one of them, because when I came to the Lord, obviously some of the most important stuff was, oh my goodness, I'm forgiven, I'm the righteousness of God, I began to find out who I was in Christ, and I also began to hit, be, be hit by the Lord with, um, you know, obviously, like when I came to the Lord at first, I was starting to realize I could hear God's voice, he began to speak to me from the word of God, give me strategies to get me free from bondages like fear and lust and things like that, I mean, from the moment I was a new Christian, the Lord was showing me I needed to give my whole life to him, needed to surrender everything to him, you know, right there in Romans 12, one of my first verses that I memorized was, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you know, in the verse right before it is, offering our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, I began to just pray those and stand on those scriptures, and the Lord began to give me specific strategies from Romans chapter 6 and Romans 8 of how to walk in freedom, but this verse hit me hard, I was a new believer, I was 16, and I had people in my relation, I had people in my life, or I had conflict, in fact, I was argumentative, I did not understand submission. I had a lot of anger issues. And so there was a lot of dysfunction in my relationship, in in me. But also there were people in my life, various people in my life, that they didn't value or understand me. And there was conflict there. And I remember as a new Christian, the Lord showed me, as much as depends on you. Now, I didn't really know how to walk it out in those days. I knew knew the Lord began to coach me in those specific relationships. But I'll tell you, I I said it two weeks ago, what the Lord has done in my life, it's not that just that he's healed my relationship with him, you know? Yay, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm I'm loved by God. No, that's, that's huge, right? And he's freed me from personal sins. But the biggest transformation in my life, I told you, was that over these years that I've been a Christian, the Lord has taught me how to have healthy relationships with others. That's what God wants, Amen. And so how do we do this? So when I look at this verse, I got to ask the question, well, what depends on me? What's my part? Think about that for a second. What's your part? What's your part 
in making sure that you live at peace with all people. What's your part with that coworker? What's your part with your spouse? What's your part with your children? What's your part in the church? What's your part? What depends on you? That's the question. Because can you take responsibility for the other person? No, you're not responsible for you. You're only responsible. I'm sorry, you're, you're not responsible for them. You're only responsible for you. So you, I, you can't answer the question, what's, what, you mean, you can't answer the question, what's their responsibility? They do have responsibility. It's good to know where their responsibility begins and where your, yours ends. But you've got to ask and answer the question, what's your responsibility? And so, I'll get, uh, it's really simple. Here it is. You're responsible to love. I want to show you something here in the scriptures. You're responsible to love. See, Jesus told us that as Christ followers, that we are in Matthew chapter 5, we are to be peacemakers. That doesn't mean you enter into someone else's conflict and meddle, right? Well, I'm a peacemaker. I'm here to fix you guys' problem. No, 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 no. Peacemaker is one who facilitates and cultivates and is a, it brings and ushers in the atmosphere of peace in workplaces and in families, right? That you cultivate everywhere around you peace, we are to be peacemakers. And yes, that does mean if some friends of yours were having a conflict, you could be a mediator. That's part of being a peacemaker. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about you working for and endeavoring for peace in all your relationships. Even Jesus told us to do this. See, listen to me. It is, um, as far as being a Christ follower, remember, I'm talking to Christ followers here, right? I'm talking to those of you who are citizens of heaven, who are members of the kingdom of God, who are following Jesus Christ. We, on our end, there should always be peace. There should never be a reason, listen, there should never be a reason why on your end there is not peace. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. On your end, there should always be peace. The reason why there's division or conflict or disunity or, or problems in the relationship should not be you. And a lot of times we look at this verse, you know, actually some of us, we, we look at this and we go, yeah, I, I did my part. I don't know, man. That's other people, right? Other people, they got the problem, right? And there, there's people in here. There's people in here. I know there is just because I know people. That, that you're doing like 50%, you know? You're doing your 50%. And you're like, oh, man, yeah. I don't know what's wrong with I know, man. Totally, Dave. Totally. I do all my. I'm living at peace. And those people over there, man, those people. And there's people who you think you're doing your 100%, but you're not. You're not. See, our culture is so lawless. Our culture has so left the, 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 you know, the, what is that, the foundation of the scriptures that we have this humanistic philosophy now that governs how we do relationships. And we like to justify our actions. We need to find out what does the word say is my responsibility, amen? What does God tell me I need to do? What is my part according to the scriptures, according to what, what the Lord has told me to do? We need to know that. And there's some of us, you're, you're doing like 50%. You think you're doing good. You think everyone else is the problem. But no, you need to do your part and you need to hear that. Now, there's other people here, you're doing like 500%. You're doing like the work of five people. And you're going to hear this message and you're going to go, God, I know I'm just doing 5%. You know, I'm so sorry, but to try harder next time. You know, there's some of you here that you need to learn that you're only supposed to do your part. And actually, by taking everyone else's part, you're not helping them. And you're not helping yourself. So we need to understand what's your part or what's not your part. And we both need, we all kind of need to be confronted on that. And we all have these blind spots. We all have blind spots and we need the Lord to speak to us. We need him to shine his light into our hearts. And so the bottom line, like I said, is that there should never be on our end a reason that there's no peace. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, peace. See, if you have a lot of conflicts as a Christian, let's say, let's say you just, 
Everywhere you go, you just, drama. Man, I don't know. People coming up to me all the time. Man, another drama. Oh, another drama. I don't know what's wrong with all these people. Now think for a second. If you have a lot of conflicts, especially if you're a Christ follower, you got a lot of conflicts. Now who's the variable? And who's the constant? Right? A great author calls this the Bob principle. If Bob has problems with everyone, Bob's the problem. It's the Bob principle. There should be no reason on your end that you don't live at peace with other people. As much as depends on you, you need to be doing your part. And I believe if you're a Christ follower who's living like this, 99% of your relationships are going to be at peace. If you have a lot of drama and conflict in your relationships, it's because of you, or at least a good deal is because of you. So many spouses will come in and try to tell me about their spouse, and I go, yeah, so you didn't, you didn't retaliate, huh? You didn't say something disrespectful too? You didn't do that? Oh, I guess I did, right? Takes two to play tennis. I don't care who, I don't care who served. You hit the ball back. Don't tell me, do not tell me you're doing your part. To live at peace with all men or your spouse. If you're hitting the ball back, if you're retaliating, what's your part? What's your part? And so I'm talking to those of you who are endeavoring and fighting for peace. You're trying to speak the truth and love like we've been talking about. And I want to challenge you that your part is love. Your part is to love. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, in Matthew, just listen to this, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, you've heard, it, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn, to the other, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What is Jesus saying? You come and say, well, I said that because she, well, I did that because I say, hey, you know, the Bible says that a uh, husband, you need to love your wife as Christ of the church, nourish her, cherish her, pursue her. Yeah, but you know, I tried that once. She doesn't respond. See, what you're telling Jesus when you say, well, I can't, but they, what you're telling me is that You're being controlled by their actions. What you're telling me is that you're completely abdicating your responsibility, and they're the reason. Do you think that'll work when you stand before God in heaven? No, he'll only ask you, what did you do? What did you say? And we need the Lord to confront, on, uh, confront us now. I don't want to get to heaven and have him say this. I want him to tell me now. I want him to tell me now. And so when somebody says something mean to you, is that license for you to say something mean back? No. no, you never have a right to retaliate as a Christ follower. The scriptures make it very clear. Love means that no matter what they do, you're the same. 
You're loving them, you're loving them, but what happens when they do something mean? You're loving them, you're loving them. So you asked me, so, so somebody asked me the question, but Dave, what do I do with a difficult person? You told me, like, speak the truth in love. You told me, you know, we need to love people and serve them. What do you do when they're, like, unresponsive or unrepentant? The same. Do you realize that no matter what another person does, you're not supposed to change your character? And you never have the right to change your character or stop loving because of what somebody else does. So somebody falls into sin. So somebody is unrepentant. So somebody chooses to walk away from the relationship. What do you do? You continue to love. You continue to love. This is what Jesus is talking about. Even an enemy? Yeah. Even in a coworker who's mean to you? Yeah. You remain consistent. Does it make sense? It's not easy to hear though, is it? Ephesians chapter 4, listen to this. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. How are we supposed to forgive? How are we supposed to love? Just like God has forgiven and loved us in Christ. Amen? When do you forgive somebody? Always, right? When do you have the right not to forgive somebody? According to the scriptures, never. Remember Peter? Hey, Jesus, you know, uh, somebody sins against me. Do I need to forgive him like seven times? Jesus goes, no, 70 times seven. He was basically making a pun, making a play on words to say, always. See, as a Christ follower, because we've been forgiven of every single sin against God and we deserve hell, but yet he loved us and gave his life for us, we have no right, never have a right not to forgive somebody. Never. As Christ followers, our part, what depends upon us in terms of living in peace, is there should never be something on my end for why we're not living in peace, like unforgiveness, like anger, like malice, like retaliation or revenge. But that from my end, I am to love, I am to forgive, I am to pursue and to fight for the relationship. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity or sin but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. When does love fail? So when do you as a Christian have the right to stop loving? What happens if somebody's not repentant? You cannot stop loving. What happens if somebody hurts you? You cannot stop loving. Now, that's hard to hear, but isn't that kind of make it simple? That if I'm not doing that, I'm not doing my part. On my end, patience. On my end, kindness. On my end, forgiveness. On my end, humility. Do you follow with me? On my end. I'm not responsible for them. But listen, I am responsible to them. See the difference? I'm not responsible for them. I'm not responsible for their actions, their perceptions of me. They might think I'm not doing my part, but maybe I am. I only stand before God on that. 
I'm not responsible for different other people's perceptions, their actions, their attitudes, their will. I'm not responsible for their sin, but I am responsible for me. I'm responsible before the Lord. Jesus Christ is my Lord, and I am to love. Why do we turn our love off? Why do we stop being patient? Why do we stop being kind? Why do we burn the bridges in our relationships? Why do we slam the, slam the door? Slam the door. Why do we do that? See, is it, is it right for you to ever burn the bridges in that relationship? What I mean by that is it can never happen again. You've closed the door. I'm never going to happen. I'm done with that person. Done with that. Writing them off. Is it ever right to do that? No. But why do we do that? Fear, right? A lot of times in the church, somebody sins, they leave the church. Oh, but if I, but if I, if I love them, if I go after them, if we pursue them, if we keep them letting them come, then they'll think it's okay. But what? Are you really thinking about them? Or are you thinking about you? Or your reputation? Or the church's reputation? See, how often do you process in your own mind, you, you, but if I do this, or if I don't do this, or if they do this, it'll, you're thinking about you, right? A lot of issue of patience. Another reason why, you talk to a husband or a wife, a lot of times, you know, talk to a husband, love your wife as Christ of the church, you know? You need to go after a pursuer. Dave, I just don't have any motivation. Why not? I know why. Well, I'll ask them. You know, I, always, I, mean, I always ask questions and listen to them. You know, I'll tell you why. They've been hurt. They've been hurt. That's why. They've been hurt. They're afraid to be hurt again. They're hurt. They don't want to. See, that's what happens. We run out of our own reserves. We run out of patience. We run out of kindness. We run out of love and we say, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't have any more motivation. But what's going on there? It's self. It's fear. What happens as a Christian is we need to look to the Lord and learn that about his love. How does he love? Did you notice that in Matthew chapter 5? Hey, you need to love your enemies. Why? Because God, he sends the rain upon the good and the evil. He causes the sun to rise on the good and the evil. What was Jesus trying to say? He loves his enemies. He's kind and benevolent and good to even those who hate him. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Who's love? God is love, right? Isn't this how God loves? Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Forgive as we've been forgiven, right? Love as we've been loved. We are to be imitators of God, Ephesians 5.1 says. Imitators of God. How does God love? Think about it. When, you, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, did he destroy the world? Did he kill them? No. He set up a plan of redemption. Didn't he keep pursuing? Didn't he? Didn't he keep pursuing relationship? What about Cain? Remember Cain? Didn't he go to Cain before Cain killed? Well, actually, even after he killed him? After he killed Abel? And talk with him? Think about God's relationship with Israel. How many times did Israel sin and go off into idolatry, looking to other addictions for their source, looking to other adulterous relationships for their source, right? Was not Israel an adulterous people, right? God made a covenant with a people named Israel. Israel continued to go to other idols, addictions, right? Because that's what it is, a different source. They went off into other relationships with other gods for their source. They gave their affections to other gods. This, come on, think about it. If you were a counselor and you had God come into your counseling chamber and God laid on the, your counseling couch and you were a counselor in our, in our culture, Right? Our lawless, humanistic philosophy culture, what would, what would you tell God? 
you know, you shouldn't take her back anymore. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't we say, God, you know, you're kind of enabling her. You keep taking her back and she just keeps cheating on you. She's not, you're so much more valuable than that. God wants you to be happy, right? right this is the kind of wickedness that's in our culture. You, you need to, you, 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 God wants you to be happy, right? And so, but what did God do? Kept taking her back. Am I right? Did, I, did anyone else read the Old Testament? They kept sinning. God kept taking them back, right? Over and over and over. Did God ever break his covenant with Israel? Never. Never. Kept taking them back. Patience, long-suffering, kindness, forgiveness. Almost to a fault, isn't he? Almost to a fault. See, when you really look at the scriptures, what God tells us to do with love, it looks a little too extreme. And so we've tried to like balance that back. Well, you've got to be wise. We've got to protect yourself. We've tried to balance that back, but the reality is no. The scriptures say to love like he loved. Think about how he loves. Think about how he loves. Think about the cross. How far did God go? How far did God go to have a relationship with you and me? I mean, think about that. He literally bears your sin on the cross, which is not his responsibility, if you ask me. We're the ones who chose to sin and rebel against God. We're the ones who deserve hell. And yet he bore his, our sin on that cross so that he could what? Have relationship with us. Why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. God always wants relationship. God always puts the other. God always puts the relationship first. He fights for family. Do you see what I'm saying? He's a covenant God and he keeps covenant and he makes promises and he keeps them. And that's how we're to be. We are never to destroy the relationship. We are never to break covenant. Never. There's only one time it says in the scriptures that a husband or a wife can break the covenant with the other and that's if the other spouse commits adultery. But other than that, the scriptures say no other. See, if the other person leaves or if the other person goes off and has another relationship, the Bible says they broke the covenant. You did your part. But I'll tell you, many times in a marriage relationship, the, other, the two people don't do their part. And I would say to any person who's going through something hard like that, or maybe a spouse is leaving you or a spouse has done something like that, I would always say, do your part. You love. You go down loving. You go down fighting. I've said this to men before. They don't often take my a challenge. I say, go down fighting for the relationship. Go down loving. No, she's not going to respond, you know, because, you know, she just, I tried that once, like for two seconds. And, man, it's so weak. It's so weak. Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood for us. Man, husbands, wives, we need to fight for that relationship. Let me tell you, even if your spouse goes off into some addiction, some craziness, goes crazy, never break the covenant. I don't believe we ever have the right to break the covenant unless they broke it. That's what Jesus said. All right. I love the story of the prodigal son, the, the, the son that left the father, right? The son took the inheritance, left the father. But what happened when he came back? See, the father was always ready for relationship. You remember the story? The son went off, wasted his money, became a slave, right? When he repented, he came back. What happened when he came back? Did the father give him a lecture? Did the father give him probation? Did the father make him a slave at first? No. 
Complete grace. Why? Because on God's part, there's peace. See, he made sure at the cross. He, remember, Jesus died once for all. He shed, this, he shed his blood for every person in this world. He loves every single person in this world. And even those who hate him, he still causes the sun to rise and set. Why? Because he's patient. We've learned this. Why has God waited 2,000 years so far not to come back? Why has Jesus not come back for 2,000 years? Because he wants people to be saved. He loves people that much that he would die. He loves people that much that he'd wait thousands of years, patiently waiting for people to repent, patiently reaching out to them, pursuing a relationship. He's done everything on his part to make sure that there's forgiveness offered. And I believe that's the same way we should be. We need to work through issues of forgiveness in our heart. We need to offer peace to people. We need to pursue relationship. We need to continue to serve them and love them and be patient towards them. And if they ever did return, if they ever did come back, if they ever did repent, you would be ready. Think about it that way. Think about it that way. Let's say they left. Somebody hurt you and they left. They took everything. But have you walked through the healing process with the Lord? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying anything I'm talking about is easy. Just saying it's what the Lord says. But have you walked it through so much that if they came back, you'd be ready to receive them if they truly repented? Is your heart open? As much as on you is their peace. Now, does this mean that, um, uh, so this means that, so love, love in the scriptures, Jesus says to love, turn the other cheek and all, that means we're supposed to be doormats, right? That means we don't confront people who are sinning. So we let them just keep doing it, right? Right? No, you guys know that's not true, amen? Why is that? Because love doesn't just pursue and fight for the relationship. Do you know that love also confronts? It's the other aspect that our culture is totally missed in this lawless culture. In this culture that has left the scriptures, we don't understand what love looks like. Listen to me, I'll say it this way. Love is unconditional, but relationship is conditional. Does God love everyone? He does. You cannot say anything other than that. He loves every single person, desires that every person will be saved. He does not will that anyone should perish, 1 Timothy 2. And he continues to be good to everyone. We can just look at what God's like. And we know that's what we're supposed to be like. And Jesus taught us to be like this. So you never get to change love. But for some reason, what we'll do is we'll dichotomize. We'll say, oh, you love that person too much. Now you just need to know what love is. Love is unconditional. That means no matter what happens, we love. Relationship is conditional. Is God in relationship with everyone? Nope. Does he have a covenant with everyone? Nope. You know that, right? See, love does not mean accepting someone's behavior. Our culture tells us it does, doesn't it? Love does not mean accepting their behavior. This is a big one. Love does not mean rescuing them from their consequences. If you love me, you wouldn't make me go through this. You say that to God all the time. Why'd you make this happen? He didn't make it happen. You're suffering the consequence of your own actions. People say this to their parents all the time. We have literally created, people talk like this with with parenting. People talk like this towards God. You'll hear people say that all the time. If God's a loving God, why? You say that kind of stuff. We do not know what love looks like. And so for that reason, we don't have discipline in our homes. We call discipline unlove. It is love. The most loving thing to do 
is to confront somebody who's sinning. The most loving thing to do is to allow them to suffer the consequences of their own actions. That is love. And that is what the scriptures say is love. God does not stop being loving to punish. It's not what he's doing. It's love. And the fact that we don't understand how that works tells me we need a renewed mind and we don't know how it looks in our own relationships. So much of what we struggle with is because we don't understand what love looks like. See, Jesus said this. I love this. This is an interesting one in Luke 17. Listen to this. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So if you have a person in your life who continues to struggle with something, like I said, you know, maybe depression or they struggle with, let's say, for example, you have a friend who's cussing. You've said, hey, by the way, really bothers me when you cuss. You know, I, it kind of affects me. Could you please just not do that in my presence, right? You're just simply asking. You're being, that's speaking the truth in love. You're using an I statement. You're simply asking for a request. And let's say they're try. you know, day one, there's seven times they cuss, day six, they, or, or day two, they cuss six times. You know, they, they're getting better. And every time they mess up, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Would you, I'm sorry. I'm trying. What are you supposed to do? Forgive them. See, true repentance, we're not talking about somebody who says they're sorry, but they're not really sorry. That's not what Jesus means here. When Jesus means repent, he means change. But change doesn't happen overnight. People take time. So there's a lot of people in your life. A lot of times I find this with spouses, to, to uh, people who are married. They're, they're just, they get into a conflict. They're mad at each other because, well, they're living with somebody who's, who's in process. And I'll tell them that. I'll say, uh, don't forget This person's in process. You need to be patient with them. They're growing. If they really are, if they're really growing, we need to see that they're growing and continue to forgive them. But you notice this key word here that we don't like in verse 3, chapter 17. Rebuke him. Rebuke him. Love confronts. Love sets boundaries. Think about God. What about God? Think about it. Every time Israel sinned, did God rescue them from their consequences or did they suffer consequences? Right? They'd worship idols. He would not go with them into battle. They would lose. They would become slaves. Yes? They suffered the consequences of their sin. Because that's what love does. It allows people to make their choice and does not rescue them from the consequences of that choice. See, we don't understand this. There's many people who don't understand why God put a tree, two trees, right in the middle of a garden. Bam, tree of life. Bam, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right there in the middle of the garden. Why is that? Because that's what love does. And many of you, you're mad at God because he put that tree there. It's not God's fault. He put that tree there because that's what love does. Choose life, choose death. And love lets you choose. And love lets you suffer the consequences. And yet, he never, ever stopped pursuing for the relationship. And he did whatever it takes, shed his own blood, so that he could have a relationship with us. Think about the people of Israel. Again and again and again and again, they sinned, and he continued to let them suffer their consequences. If they cried out to him, he would take them back, right? All the way to the point where he sent them into exile. The temple was destroyed. Think about it in your own life. You have unmerited favor in Jesus Christ because of the blood of Jesus. All the promise of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. But if you walk in lack of integrity, you will suffer the consequences. He will not bless disobedience. But you have unmerited favor. Because the Bible simply says this. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you confess. 
See, as Christians, as long as that sin's confessed, unmerited favor. But you want to hide your sin and you want to act like God doesn't know, it's going to shut down the blessings of God in your life. Why is that? Because God sets boundaries. Because God does not endorse rebellion. Because God does not allow, does not rescue you from the consequences of your choices. And God confronts. Think about the prophets. I mean, you read the Old Testament. Does God just silently ignore Israel and then one day just pounce on them and destroy them? Or when you read the Old Testament, do you see prophet after prophet? And those are some long books, by the way. Prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. What are they telling the Israelites? You're sinning. You need to change. Or this is going to be the consequence. And what is the invitation always? What? Repent. Repentance is always the invitation to relationship. If I don't like you, I would never talk to you. Always he was telling them, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. Do you notice how many words there are in the prophets? Why? Because he never stopped loving them. But love confronts. The Bible does not say to forgive and be a doormat. The Bible says confront, rebuke, and forgive. So when are you supposed to forgive? Always. And when are you supposed to confront? Always. You're supposed to, and that, what does confront look like? It means truth and love. It means to speak the truth in love. <clears throat> and so, what am I trying to say here? That your part is to love. On one hand, you never stop loving. You never stop fighting for a relationship. You never stop pursuing that relationship. I don't believe it's ever right to stop loving or to burn the bridges of that relationship. On the other hand, love sets boundaries. So what do you do with the person who is addicted? Let's say you're in a marriage. You have a spouse who's addicted. What do you do? If you never confront them or speak the truth in love, you haven't done what the Lord told you. If you gossip about them, you haven't done what the Lord has told you to do. Scriptures simply say you go to them. Matthew chapter 18. You have to first set a verbal boundary. You know, when I say boundary, let me explain boundary real quick. When I say set a boundary, well, we, by that we simply mean where I begin and you end. This is who you are and this is who I am, where I end and you begin. That's all that means. It means this is my responsibility and that's yours. If you do not communicate to somebody truth and love, right, in a loving way, but being honest, using I statements, if you don't communicate to them, let's say one day you just up and leave, leave them a letter. I hate you, you're horrible, I'm out of here. You did not do your part. You have to first start setting verbal boundaries. You simply say, so your addiction is affecting our family. It hurts me. You break my trust when you, when you do this. When you go and you drink, I can't, I can't trust you. And you're wasting our money. And I can't trust you. And you begin to set those verbal boundaries. And what you do when you're setting boundaries is you talk about what you're going to do. What you're going to do. Here's what, here's what a boundary is. This is what it takes to be in relationship with me. This is what God was doing. I'm a holy God. I love you. I will always love you. But this is what it takes to be in relationship with me. Okay? And think about the cross. Okay? He loves everyone. Jesus paid the price for everyone. The, sh the blood's been shed for everyone. But 2 Corinthians 5 says that we plead for God, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Be reconciled to God. What is that saying? Again, not everyone is reconciled to God. Love is unconditional, but the relationship is conditional, which means it takes forgiveness and repentance on both sides to cause the relationship to come back. It takes two to have peace. 
So what you do is you begin to set those verbal boundaries. Say, hey, this is what it takes to be in relationship with me. For example, with the attic. You say, so, I'm not going to rescue you anymore. I'm not going to lie for you. This is what happens, isn't it? In these kind of codependent relationships, one person is doing these things, the other person bears the consequences of them. The best thing you could do if you're in an addictive, or if you're in a relationship with an addict, or a relationship with an abusive person, or where they're controlling and, and you're doing too much, the best thing you could do is begin to set boundaries and listen, work on you. Best thing you could do is say, this is what I'm going to do. I, you know, people will say, I can't go to a cell, I've got to wait for my spouse. No, you need to, as just as an example, you need to cultivate you. Best thing an addict, a best, person, best thing a person can do in that kind of thing is just say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to church whether you go or not. Right? I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to get whole. I'm going to go to counseling or I'm going to go to uh, families of alcoholics. You know, I'm, I'm going to go to these support groups. I'm going to go Al-Anon. I'm going to do, do something. But what are you saying? I, I, I'm going to do this. Does that make sense? Then you set the boundaries. And so I, if you don't get help, I am going to need to set boundaries. I'm not going to lie for you anymore. I'm not going to, uh, 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 you know, save you from your consequences anymore, okay? And you begin to set these boundaries. Why? Why? That's the most loving thing. You've got to understand, if you don't confront, they can't change. If you don't call them to repentance, they can't change. If you don't set boundaries, you keep rescuing from your consequences, they'll never change. Love confronting people and setting boundaries is grace. It is giving them the help that they need. But when you confront them and you set those boundaries, you have to be extremely willing to do whatever it takes to help them. If you're not, then it's not love. Right? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says simply this, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, basically sin, you who are spiritual, restore him. Store such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens so fulfill the law of Christ. If you just want to go and correct people and rebuke them, but you're not willing to help them, that's not love. Love says, I'm setting these boundaries and I'll do whatever it takes. If you're willing, I will help you. So for example, again, with the attic, you say, I'm going to have, if you don't change, if you don't get help, I'm going to have to set financial boundaries. See, if they don't accept the verbal boundary, you have to begin to set physical boundaries or relational or economic boundaries so that those consequences fall on them. They need to bear the consequences and feel the pain of that consequence. It starts from when people are little, like two, and they need a parent who will let them have discipline in their life. And so what happens is, you begin to say to them, so if you don't work the plan, I'm going to have to set financial boundaries. I'm going to have to, be, I'm going to, have to set some boundaries here. Now, what do we mean by work the plan? You can't tell an addict you've got to change tomorrow. It to be perfect tomorrow. This is what people do. What you have to do is begin to say, this is what it looks like for you to be working a plan. Let me give you an example. Working a plan means they submit to authority. Bottom line, it always comes down to that. Somebody's not willing to submit to authority, meaning like they won't come to a pastor or they won't go to AA or they won't go and get to the recovery. They're not ready to change. I don't care how much they say they're sorry or make promises to you. They're not. They must submit. But here's the deal. On the other hand, if somebody's working the plan but falling down, I say you give them grace. If they're really working the plan, the moment they stop working the plan, I'll put the boundaries. Now, here's the thing. This is complicated. You need the guidance of the Holy Spirit in this. You can't just give people rules. I've given you two principles that are absolutely unshakable and I believe will guide you in any conflict like this you would have. One, that you always keep loving. 
and two, that you set boundaries. But the way you do it, the way you say it, the way you approach it, when to do verbal boundaries, when to set some physical boundaries, it's complicated. And I'll be honest with you, you'll go, you'll err on one side or the other. One of the things that people will often do is they'll set a verbal boundary and then the person will cross it. They will cross it. And then you won't back it up. You need support. You need encouragement. On the other hand, I've seen it where people will hear about boundaries. I have respect. Yeah, I'm valuable. God loves me. You can't talk to me like that anymore. And then they will, you know, and then they'll get all crazy. And it's like, whoa, whoa, that's not good either. And so you're going to need help. I really encourage you. If, this is, if you're in a relationship where it's like an addiction, that kind of thing, I, I believe you don't just need a friend. You need a mature Christ follower to help guide you. Not just any counselor, someone who knows the scriptures and who are going to teach you these, who are going to do this according to these two principles. These are the two railway, railroad lines. Unconditional love, but boundaries. So you do not have to be in relation with somebody who's unrepentant. God is not in relation with people who don't repent. Let's say if somebody's abusing you, physical abuse, what do you do as a Christian? Well, but I'm supposed to love them and believe in them. Amen. Yeah. Love them, believe in them, love never fails, and get out. That is not right. Amen. It is not right for them to abuse you. That's crossing your boundary. That's controlling you. That's hurting you. You're more valuable than that. That's not okay. And you must set a physical boundary because they have crossed a physical boundary so that they have to suffer the consequences of this. This is what it takes to be in relation with me. Kindness. Respect of my body. Respect of my person. Right? If they're verbally abusive to you, you begin to set a verbal boundary. I would like you please to not talk like that. When you say those things, it hurts me. And if you don't say those things, I'm going to leave your presence. You talk about what you're going to do. You don't say, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this. You just simply say, this is what I'm going to do. If you're going to talk to me like that, I'm going to leave. Okay, that might mean just a quick time out, like an hour. If it's really intense, you get some support, and if you need to you know, get out of that home for a, 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 you know, a, a period of time. But listen to me. We as Christians never have the right to destroy the relationship or to close the door on that person. Which simply means this, again, if they repent, you're ready for them to come back. See, what's happened is we've twisted the scriptures. Matthew chapter 18 talks about confronting somebody one-on-one, then confronting somebody in groups, and then if they still don't repent, you bring them before the church, and then you, and you it says, treat them like a tax collector, and t- treat them like a heathen. We've taken that to mean if somebody's sinning in the church, we reject them, tell them they can't come to our church anymore. That's wrong. That is unscriptural. That is not right at all. That is not what the Bible says. Second Thessalonians, I could go in, there's a whole other thing, but uh, I could give you a lot of scriptural basis for this, but Second Thessalonians 3 says, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Listen to me. This is what Matthew 18 is really about. Separation for restoration. If your goal is not for the restoration of the person and the restoration of the relationship, it's not love. Itself. What I'm saying is, let's say again, you have an addict for a, for a husband or wife. The reason you're setting a boundary and confronting is for them. And for the relationship. You're saying, I'm done with the dysfunctional relationship. I'm done with you dictating the messiness of our relationship. You're saying, I'm setting a boundary so that you can get whole. I'm not going to rescue anymore. And I'm setting a boundary so that we can be whole. And when you're ready to work the plan, and when you're ready 
to repent, change. You don't have to use the word repent. I mean, I do. Then we can have relationship, separation for restoration. So, for example, in the church, people will go into sin. Let's say somebody gets into a cohabiting relationship. Is it right for a parent to reject them? We're Christians. My child is in a cohabiting relationship. Or let me be even more specific. Let's say somebody is in a homosexual relationship. And they're your child. Oh, Michelle and I, we run into this all the time. Parents who reject their children because of cohabiting, reject their children because of homosexuality. Well, because we're not supposed to have fellowship with them. And we have to show them that it's not right. Well, guess what? It's not good and it's not healthy. We'll always fight for the relationship. Love does not mean you're accepting their behavior. Yeah, you can set boundaries. Oh, yeah, you can set boundaries. And you can communicate to them that that's not good. And you can communicate to them that, that, that it's not something you accept. But I'll tell you, I don't believe it's ever right for a Christian in the way of Christ to reject somebody who's our flesh and blood, our family here, or your own flesh and blood in your immediate family because they're sinning. That's wrong. That's wrong. And I see a lot of Christians do it. We think in the name of Matthew 18, we think in the name of whatever, that we're supposed to stop loving and we need to make sure they know that they're sinning. But what did you see in Luke chapter 15? Luke chapter 15, God did not run after the son. He did not rescue the son from his consequence, but he was always waiting for him, amen? And what do you see God doing? Pursuing relationship. Did Jesus not hang out with tax collectors and sinners? He was in the presence of those, in relationship and friendship with those who were not walking in God's ways so that he could show them his love. But did he validate their sin? No. Hey, all that to say, there's probably a hundred different stories here. I can't touch them all, right? I don't know what you're going through. But if you have a person in your life who's not repentant, they've continued to hurt you. You do need to set boundaries. If you're in a relationship where there's conflict and it maybe is very mutual, well, you need to start doing the speaking the truth and love thing. And the most loving thing we could do is to set boundaries. But we are never to destroy the relationship or to burn the bridges of the relationship. You understand? Now, I've given you some uh, resources in your program uh, that you could read some books on some of this if you need some help. Also, if you're going through something like this specifically, we're here to help you and support you, pray with you. But the biggest thing is, like I said, because we all have blind spots, the most important thing is to ask the Lord, Lord, where do I need to grow? What's my part? Show me how to love. Show me. You forgiving and you loving is about your heart before God. Forgiveness is about you taking them off your hook, putting them on God's hook, and you being free, and you having peace, whether they ever repent. And I'll tell you, you could do all the loving and all the setting the boundaries, and they may never change. But your heart will be right before the Lord. You'll be at peace. Because I can't talk to you about their choice. They have a will. God will love people till he returns, and some will never choose him, but he'll never stop loving them. And so I want to challenge you to do the same. And if you need help with some of these things, you can ask. You can read these books that I've put in the program. But more than anything else, today, we need to take these scriptures, we need to take these principles and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what do I do?